We, um, we actually in the third part of this sermon series, so um, on our bread and butter beliefs, we started with, um, you know, we had Pastor Gary Bullock and his wife Cam with us a couple of weeks ago. We had a chance to celebrate our 20th anniversary. It was so good. And we, so I began with um, the idea of thinking and focusing on our bread and butter mission um, to make disciples of, uh, for Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And the idea of, you know, to living into the vision that God has placed upon our church here at New Covenant, a place to call home. Uh, to be the hands, feet, and voice of Jesus Christ. And so we took, and so we've been looking at Matthew 25, and we actually are kind of working backwards. So we give the third part today. It's actually the first of the three parables that Jesus teaches. And so, you know, we that first parable has to do with when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. And the importance of being compassionate. And as we live in this vision, to be the hands, feet, and voice of Jesus Christ and being merciful. Then last week, we talked briefly um, about... That the the parable of the talents and you know what a great powerful story and we talked a bit about giving because Mr. Wesley was um, the founder of the Methodist Church was very emphatic about the importance of understanding because the three key principles when he talked about stewardship and giving really came out of the necessities and the basic necessities of life the bread and butter of life because he realized that many of the people who were becoming Methodists were very very poor and he was trying to give them kind of a template a blueprint to get out of poverty so you know he he challenged people to be able to to basically gain all you can and save all you can but also to give all you can and that simple principle really is not so much, and we really live in this today, even though it's a 250-year-old principle. We still live in this as Christians and as Methodists today. And, and the idea that it's really the fundamental question isn't so much how much we have. For Mr. Wesley, it had everything to do with who we are as Christians and how giving we are. So we talked a bit about that. So this week we have this this great parable, um, and, and so let me just read it. Um, so this is actually the, the first of the three parables, and this is the parable of the ten bridesmaids. And you all probably have heard this sermon, or actually heard a sermon similar to this today. Um, the, you've heard the text, and um, I, I love this story, and I, I I'm excited about actually preaching and teaching this because I learned some new things this week, and I hope that maybe you will too. So here are these words um, from uh, the Gospel of Matthew the. 25th chapter, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Uh, ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. And when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and they slept. But at midnight, there was a shout, look, here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, no, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealer and buy some for yourself. And while they were, went out to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. They, the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. 
and amen. So listen, um, these three stories that I've been preaching on the last couple weeks. So the first one has to do, what did you do with, well, what did you do to show mercy? The second one has everything to do, what did you do um, with what I gave you? And today this theme is, what did you do to make sure that you were ready? I love this quote from um, George Whitfield who said, take care of your life and the Lord will take care of your death. Pretty powerful. And so when you look at all three stories together, I, I, there is this theme. There is this kind of theme about separation. You know, you got the for that one I, um, that you did at least of these you did. I mean, so you separate the sheep and the goats. And then um, last week, there's, uh, there's some sense of um, accounting going on. I mean, this, once again, that story is about not just the, uh, the parable of addition and subtraction. That story is a multiplication. Jesus is all about multiplication. Hence the reason why you think about that wonderful story where Jesus takes five loaves and two fish and he feeds 5,000. That's not an addition, subtraction. That's multiplication. And so we find that about that there's a kind of a, a separation between the, the good and faithful and those who are lazy and evil. We got that part of the story. And then this week, as Jesus lays this parable out for us, there's this part about the wise and the foolish. So there's a theme that has to do with separating. There's a theme that we have accounting. And there's a theme that has to do with being prepared. Now, I can relate to that. So I had this dream. I've shared this with before. And this is a reoccurring dream. I pr- probably have it maybe once, maybe once a month. Is, um, and it's really not much of a dream. It's more of a nightmare because this is my greatest fear. Um, I, I, my fear is not being able to get here and to be able somehow to preach. So I have all these obstacles in my dream. So I'm, I'm on my way to church. I'm running late and I can't find my sermon notes and I can't find my Bible. I'm just a complete mess and I'm trying desperately to get here. And when I finally get here, I can't, I'm, not, I'm totally unprepared and I have absolutely nothing to say. Now that might be difficult for you all to understand that. But that is my greatest fear in my dream, to get to the pulpit and not be prepared. You could relate. So, you know, I did a little research this week, and um, I found this interesting article about life and um, about regrets that people have had in life. And I I thought this is, um, so this is called the, the 50 most common regrets people have after they are 50. Anybody over 50 here? Okay, so I think this is really interesting. So um, these are the regrets. People, once they hit 50, they're looking back at life and they're reflecting upon their lives. And so this is a list of the, the top 50. So I didn't, I didn't type, type up all 50, but here's a few. Not doing more for others, not nurturing good relationships, letting the passion die, getting divorced holding on to grudges, not preparing their kids for independence, not spending more time with your kids, spending too little time with your parents, trying to live up to your parents' expectations, not finding fulfillment, being too tough on yourself, quitting school, not accomplishing more, working too much, not saving more, missing out on investment opportunities, not taking vacations and traveling more, not being more adventurous, not eating healthier, Letting friendships fizzle out, not apologizing more, being ungrateful, worrying about other people's opinions, not standing up for others or for oneself, taking life too seriously, spending too much time worrying, being unkind, ignoring your personal happiness, not seeing someone before they died, 
and not leaving a legacy. Hmm. People's regrets. Then they asked on the same article, I thought this was interesting. So they talked about how even though you maybe have some regrets, there are some changes that people can make. For example, conquering a long-held fear, adopting a pet, reconnecting with old friends, learning a new language, taking up yoga, running a race, volunteering, go camping, take dancing lessons, forgive someone, make amends with your ex or exes. Give more to charity. Make a will. See the northern lights. Tell people you love them more. Smile more. I thought that was pretty good. And then I found this article. This is a, this is a great article that um, it had to do with people who aren't, haven't hit 50, but people have hit 100. And so I don't know if you realize this, but there are actually 55,000 Americans today that are over 100 years old. And then actually there are 330 Americans that are 110 years old. Wow. So they interviewed them and they talked about, you know, um, the six rules for long, living a long, healthy life. And so they took the, the people, they interviewed the people who are 100 years old, and then they compared the answers and they asked the same question to 10-year-olds. And then they weighed it out to look at the perspective of someone who's 100 and then someone who's 10. And so this is what some common denominators they found that um, your outlook on life is really important. So 61% of the people who are 100 still feel very positive about life. Um, 44% of the 10-year-olds feel positive about life. I thought that was interesting. Uh, keep moving. In other words, it's important to continue to exercise and do something to be able to go on a hike or a walk. Smile more. This is important. Don't focus on your age. I thought this is interesting. The people who are 100 years old, 60% of them said that they didn't feel old. But you ready for this? Okay, 10-year-olds, when they weighed in, they think you get old at 46. Ouch. <laughs> Appreciate your younger years. And number six, be around the ones that you love the most. That was interesting. That whole article between, you know, people looking at life and maybe some of the regrets they've had in life looking back. I think two of the most lonely, maybe most somber words that in the human vocabulary are if only. I mean, do you think that maybe... For example, um, oh, maybe David looked back at his life and thought, you know what, if only, you know, there is that whole Bathsheba thing that happened, right? Or maybe the rich young ruler, when Jesus came to him one day and said, hey, listen, go sell all that you have and just come and follow me. And the Bible says he couldn't do it because he had a lot of possessions, I wonder if he ever looked back at his life and thought, you know, if only. Or maybe Peter. You think, you know, Peter denied Jesus three different times. And I wonder, you know, Jesus did forgive him because he did have that conversation down by the Sea of Galilee. And they had that conversation, Pete, do you really love me? Do you really love me? Do you really love me? And Peter continued to respond, of course I do love you. Jesus says, well, make sure you feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. Feed my sheep. So I wonder if Peter ever had one of those if-only moments in life. So let me just teach for a second. So um, this story today, it, it's uh, the context and the storyline. Once again, there's these three different parables. And this story is in the context has to do with a wedding banquet. 
and the bridegroom coming to go come and get the bridesmaids. Uh, so listen, first of all, we have to understand this, this is written 2,000 years ago, and Jesus is a, just a genius about taking stories and making them life applicable, but he was taking things that people could relate to. And so everybody could relate to a wedding. So this is the context in which he uses this, this particular parable. So he frames it in the context. Of, so listen, so 2,000 years ago, weddings were a little different than they are today here in America. Obviously, this is the context, you know, look, and this is in Israel. Matter of fact, my son, actually, Logan, when he went to the Holy Land one year with me, um, he hooked up with one of our friends, um, uh, Carl and Laura Pearson, has, have a niece that actually live in Israel at the time. And Anna's actually going to become a graduate at University of Florida. She's come from Israel to come and worship, and she's studying neuro, to be a neurosurgeon. So anyway, we were over there a few years ago, and so Logan knew her because they were friends from here, and they, he, one of the things she took him to was a true blue Bedouin, true Israel wedding. And I said, how'd that work out? What was that like? He says, well, Dad, it was different. And so, um, and so he got a feel for the flavor it would be like to go to a, a, a wedding. And um, especially it was a Bedouin wedding, which is a little different. And so what's interesting is that the, um, back then, um, there would be a time in which there would be a week of preparing for the wedding, which is a little different. You know, we here in America, usually the, a wedding is like a one-day event. And um, so the, the bride and the groom were actually, they didn't actually take, well, a vacation or a cruise uh, to Acapulco. That is not normally how they would do it back then, 2,000 years ago. That was a joke. Ha, ha, ha. Um, and so, um, but they would spend, and they would be like a prince and princess for a week. And there would be a time at the end of the week that the bridegroom would come and come again, and there would be a part of the bridal party, and they would literally be a part of this kind of week-long festivities. And so the bride, basically the bride, the, the best man would come and announce the bridegroom has come to come and get the wedding party, and it's time for the wedding. So this is a little of the way that they would do it back 2,000 years ago. So we find this, this is interesting context. So, so what we find here is that the, the best man comes and shows up and says, hey, listen, uh, the bridegroom's been delayed. Now we have to understand this because Matthew, once again, why, um, as he's telling the story in the gospel, Matthew, Jesus is sharing this, but Matthew is framing at a time in which people are waiting for Jesus to come back. So there's this idea, this, this theme that has a lot to do with well, the second coming to Christ and being prepared. So I started thinking about this this week and kind of put it in a per perspective. And so here is what we really need to know about the story and kind of explain the parable. Okay, so the first thing we need to understand is 2,000 years ago and a little bit different today, because if you go to a wedding day, listen, we all know it's all about the bride. It's not so much about the bridegroom. However, in this story, it's not about the bride. The story is really focused on the bridegroom. And who's the bridegroom? The bridegroom is Jesus, and Jesus is the Messiah. The second thing we really need to understand about this part of the story is that the bridesmaids really represent the church. Now, what we also have to understand is that all ten of the bridesmaids, they look exactly the same. Everybody's dressed up exactly the same. They all have their lamps. They're all prepared. They're all, well, actually, wait a minute. They're not all prepared, but they're all anticipating for the bridegroom to come and they're all excited because everybody's thinking about they're going to get to go to the party well of course he's been delayed which means that 
Five were wise and five were foolish. And the five wise had enough oil for their lamps to actually get them to the wedding banquet. But the five foolish ones, not so much. So what does that all really mean in perspective? So we have this part where you got the bridegroom, the symbol, and what's very powerful is the symbolism about the church, but there's also the second part that's the five wise and the five foolish. And what Jesus is pointing out about the foolish ones really represented the people of Israel who had been waiting and waiting and waiting for who? The Messiah. And the Messiah finally shows up, but they aren't prepared for the Messiah. Jesus finally says, here I am. But they're foolish. They're not prepared for him. So I I started thinking about this because this is a really important parable because it has a lot to do with being prepared in life or being ready. Okay, so listen, I I have been thinking this all this this last week, and I'm going to put this little chart up and let me flip it over. And let me just teach once again for a simple little thing about life. And so I have two categories. So we have this category about life and death. And then we have this category over here about eternity. Now, what's very interesting about the difference between the wise and the foolish, the wise were on the Messiah or on Jesus's or the bridegroom's timetable. The foolish were not on the Messiah's timetable. They were on their own timetable. There's a difference. You want to be on Jesus' timetable? Or are you going to be risky and just live, live your life on your own timetable? Okay. So here's the reality. You can be ready for death, and you can be ready for eternal life. So let me give you an example of this. Um, true blue. So about five years ago, my father calls me up. And my father says to me, my father hadn't been feeling very good um, that particular week, and I, I don't think he had a cold or something was going on. He had the flu, and he just was kind of recovering from that. And so my father says to me, he says, this is on a Thursday, he says, you know, Harold Ray, I think that I'm dying. And I, I totally blew that off. And, um, and because I thought he was maybe just kind of being um, over-exaggerating, maybe being a little bit dramatic. And I said, Dad, you're not dying. And he said, I think I'm dying. On Monday, he died. Not a heart attack. My mother called me up, I'll never forget that, and said, I think your father has died. Now listen, the reason why I tell you that is that I think, listen again, this is just Harold. You're not going to find this anywhere else in any kind of a biblical encyclopedia. But this is just my thought. I think that when I think about my father and other people, I think my father is ready, but I also think he was ready. Okay, now then, you can not, not be ready to die, but you can be ready for eternal life. Let me give you an example of that. On December 17, 2019, your senior pastor, along with two of his friends, were in a horrific car accident. I was just going fishing. My life was just thinking, this is just any ordinary day. Life's good. I still got my whole life ahead of me, and I'm working towards being 100 years old. And on that day, I just realized how fragile life could be. Now, listen, I was not ready 
And chances are you all in this audience, I realize I'm preaching to the choir, <laughs> that we're not ready to die. I mean, we're thinking, you know what? Hey, Harold, I want to be 100 years old too. I'm looking forward to that. I want to spend, I can't wait to continue to spend time with my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren. I'm going to enjoy my retirement and I'm just loving life and I want to volunteer more. And you get that, right? So chances are we're all, most of us, I'm assuming, that we're not ready to die, but we are ready for eternal life. And then there are people that I have come across in my life that are ready to die because they've got cancer or they've gone through some kind of, there's something they're going through their life and they've, they've hit that mark and they are ready to die. But they're not ready for eternal life. And then I've come across some people who are not ready to die and they're not ready for eternal life. So I think if you just take these simple little categories, there's a lot of truth to these categories. And you apply them to life. Now, what's very interesting about this story is that, so we, we find that the, the bridegroom's delayed and some of the wise, they're ready. They're ready. Um, and the foolish are not ready. They're not prepared. They're not prepared. Well, they're not prepared for the wedding banquet. They're not ready for, in the imagery here, for the eternal life. They're not ready for heaven. And so I think it's very important that, once again, you have to understand the context of the story. And we also understand the importance Jesus, the bridegroom, Messiah, the wise and the foolish. The church who, well, those who accept and don't. And then you have, you ready? The oil and the lambs. Oh, wait a minute. What's that have to do with anything? Has everything to do with everything. See, the oil and the lamp has a lot to do, has a whole lot to do with our lives and how we've lived our lives. The oil and the lamp, and as, as I did my research, the oil represents has everything to do with compassion. And once again, you look at Matthew and how he drafts this. It's not so much, a lot of times we think it has to do in the context of our theology. You look at as an overarching, we have grace and we got forgiveness. But, but for Matthew, Matt, Matthew doesn't focus so much on grace and forgiveness. Matthew talks about how we lived our life and how we've been compassionate and being empathetic and being merciful towards people. When you've done to the least of these, you've done them unto me. See? So the oil and the lamp in this first parable really connects to the third parable. When you've done the least of these, you've done unto me. Oh, I'm at, oh, I'm at. Here's another part. It's the story before the story. Where have you heard that before? What is the story before the story? What does the oil have to do with anything? What has everything to do with, with what Matthew wants us to understand about being compassionate, empathetic? The oil in your lamp has everything to how you live your life. M- Matthew, the fifth chapter. You know what this story has everything to do about? The Sermon on the Mount. The oil and the lamp has everything to do with the Sermon on the Mount. How we lived our life, how we shown compassion when we had been empathetic. The oil and the lamp has, you go back to the story before the story. 
Blessed are the poor in the spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed be the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed be are those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now you know. Here's another thing about the oil. You ready for this? Oil represents our character. It represents who we are. And guess what? Oh, you ready? You can't borrow someone's character. It didn't happen. It's not on to be on loan. Here's another thought. Not only can you not borrow someone's character, but you cannot borrow someone's personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, there's a thought. You can't do it. And so when they, this is the part of the story. So when the ones who were wise, who were prepared, and the ones who were unprepared, when, the, when, you, when you read that story, you think, oh, wow, they should have been, well, they should have shared. Well, they can't share. When it comes to their character, when it can't share, either you believe or you don't believe. Either you have a relationship or you don't have a relationship. Either you're prepared or you're ready for a tender or you aren't. You can't, there are certain things in life, and guess what? That is one of the things that you cannot borrow. Can't do it. And then what's very interesting about this story is, so, um, the bridegroom is coming, and he, he, when he shows up, um, the five they're prepared, and there are five that are unprepared, and so the five that are unprepared have to go, well, they have to go down to the Circle K or the 7-Eleven or the Wawa and try to find some oil in the middle of the night because it's the only thing that's open. So they come back, and they got the oil because they found it at Wawa, and then they finally get to the wedding banquet. Okay, and so what's very interesting about this part of the story and it seems kind of harsh, but this is Jesus telling the story. They show up and knock on the door. They're ready for the party. And they say, let us in, Lord. And the master says, I don't know you. Ooh. I, once upon a time, I had one of my kids who, uh, they were, I don't know, maybe third, fourth, fifth grade. I noticed when they had come home and they had a really bad score on their test. And I knew this was uncharacteristic of this particular one of my kids. So I went to the, my kid and I said, so explain this, right? You probably had that same conversation. How did you get this grade? Because it's in red and it's not looking real good. And this is what he said. I don't know. <laughs> and, and so it's a typical response isn't it, from a kid who's just kind of clueless and doesn't have any better, anything else better to come back with. He said, well, Dad, I think I just forgot. I, I just like, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I just think that maybe sometimes I don't know is an unacceptable response so when you think about heaven jesus says so what'd you do what'd you give how'd you live your life 
What'd you do with your oil? And you come back and say, I don't know. And Jesus says, well, I think that's an unacceptable answer. I don't know you. Oh, those are some powerful words. Legacy. Jesus has left his legacy. I mean, it's one of the things that we talked about. These people who were, felt like, you know, their 50 regrets is they didn't leave a legacy. You know, I was thinking about, um, matter of fact, this is really interesting. There are three kind of different um, themes, I felt. Le- uh, people wish they had left more of a legacy. People wish they had reflected more. And people wish they had taken more risk. Oh, there's a thought. Taking risk. You know, I thought about this last week. Um, who was a big, huge risk taker. Um, can you put that picture of... Um, Walt up there, can you? Okay, Walt Disney. Did you know that Walt Disney was a big, huge risk taker? He actually did pretty well for himself. He only won 26 Academy Awards, but who's counting, right? Okay, so you know what he was willing to do? Back in early, late 1930s, he was willing to bet the house on Snow White. And guess what? Snow White came through big time for him. And he built a whole empire, a whole kingdom because he was willing to take a risk. And you know, there are millions of kids today that are still loving his legacy. Matter of fact, here's one of them. Here's a picture of um, my granddaughter. Last week, she was living part of Walt Disney's legacy, all because a guy was willing to take a risk. Pretty amazing. Here's another interesting thing. I was um, comparing this this last week. You know, things that, you know, I thought there was this very, just doing my own little way of, weird way of thinking. Uh, Walt Disney and Jesus, both of them had a vision to build a kingdom. Both were committed to excellence. Both were great storytellers. Both, they understood the importance of supportive cast members. And both focused on the main thing. And so for Disney... This is a quote from Disney. He says, you know, you don't build it for yourself. You know what the people want and you build it for them. But what's interesting, the difference between what Walt Disney desired and his legacy and Jesus's legacy. Walt Disney says, give people what they want. Jesus said, let's give people what they need. And what do we all need? Forgiveness? Hope, salvation, hmm. So you know what, I think, um, personally, I think this is uh, really important. I think that um, our future on all this hangs on really the difference between two words, If only, if only, or I only. I only has everything to do with I only believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, that he came and he lived and he died upon an old record cross to give me redemption to give me hope, to show me how to love just as he has taught us to love, and to give me 
and the world and his kingdom eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I think it all hinges on that word, if only or I only. So are you prepared? Lord Jesus, we're grateful for your love and for your mercy. And and we're grateful for unbelievable worship service this morning. Thank you so much for the beautiful music. And um, my hope and my prayer is that, um, that we're all ready. And it's just a simple prayer. Lord, come and live and reign in my heart. I want you to forgive me my sins. I want you to wash my sins away. I'd really truly believe. I'd want to be in that if only category when I have to stand before you because there is going to be judgment. But we, we trust and believe that I, we, us, place all our faith and our hope in you. Come and live and reign in our lives today. And my hope and my prayer today, if there's someone who's never prayed that prayer, that they can pray it today. And without a no shadow of doubt that you are Lord, you are Savior, you are Messiah, you're their great love of life. In Jesus Christ, we pray and all God's children said, amen and amen. <laughs>